welcome to more to come pw comics hi. worlds hi uh do our weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news i am heidi mcdonald i'm the editor-in-chief of the beat at comicsbeat.com and today i have the pleasure of talking to stephen grant uh the legendary stephen grant steve <laughs> how's it going Oh, fine. fine. Sorry I jumped the gun there. I ah. always forget they have introductions on podcasts. I know. We need to, like, ramble with our um, identifying information. But now, Steve, you actually have been on the podcast before, just briefly. As, have I? Uh, yes, you have. Uh, right. See, that's that's the world we live in. We don't even remember uh, who we blab with. And uh, but trust me, people say to me as well, uh, Heidi, don't you remember you did that? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't remember what I wrote last week, so it's not that big a jump for me. So, so just <laughs> to introduce yourself, though, you have been writing comics for uh, umpty zillion years. Decades. Decades. Literally, and, literally decades. And yes. you've worked for Marvel, you've worked for DC, yes. you helped launch First Comics, you image you what haven't you done that's a shorter ah uh, well uh never done anything for oni yet but, uh. <laughs> I, I like that you had that just ready to roll there um perhaps your uh best known creation was uh, i don't i don't even know what would you say is your best known creation Boy, I, you know, I don't really have any well-known creations. The best known thing I've done is the Punisher miniseries. Ah. That, that has haunted me forever. That's, that's just, uh, actually it's been the gift that keeps on giving because I still regularly get, uh, get royalty checks for that because Marvel reprints it about four times a year. Right. So. <laughs> right. Who was the artist on that run? That was Mike Sack and John Beatty. Right. That's right. So this was really the, the seminal 80s run, wasn't it? Where uh... Right. Yeah, no, this is what launched him. This is prior to this, prior to that, he was universally thought of as a fourth rate character that nobody wanted to see. So, and then we did the miniseries and suddenly everybody wanted us. Right, so. right. Well, there you go. You launched, uh, you launched the legend. Yeah. Um, I guess you're also known for, uh, Whisper. That was your character right. for, uh, yeah, that, that was my firstborn, right? Right, right. Um, let's see. What else would, well, also two guns. You worked with right. Boom. That was, uh, that was, uh, turned into a, a rather entertaining <laughs> film. Right. Right. Uh, but now you're doing something new. You're back in the publishing game, right? With a new company called... Well, sort of. Sort of. I'm well, Okay. It's, well, uh, let me just set the scene, and then I want... You can tell me everything there is to know about it. It's called sure. Paper Movies, uh, which the first uh, project uh, that I've seen is a reprint, or rather a uh, a... A continuation of his name is Savage. A relaunch. A relaunch. Yes. There you go. Uh, of so, his name is Savage. Right, which yeah. is a classic title from the dawn of the graphic novel. Uh, and then a couple of other books. So what is Paper Movies? Why is Paper Movies? What are you doing? Well, um, Paper Movies started out as just a company name for me. You know, just just a name so that I didn't. I had something besides Stephen Grant to, to put on business cards. And uh, the concept behind it actually came out of Badlands when I was – I did a book called Badlands for Dark Horse, well, for Vortex and then for Dark Horse, that was a crime novel uh, centered around the Kennedy assassination. Mm -hmm. Great. I loved and, it. That was a great book. Yeah. And Yeah, it's still, my, I think, my favorite book of everything, anything that I've done. So, And um, – 
it's got a couple of competitors now, but but uh, it I kind of took a much more I had come, done that just coming off a of whisper where I was had a lot of narrative and did a lot of strange narrative jumping around and things like that. A lot of experimentation with narrative on whisper, and it was a complete went to that and just shifted gears completely and did straightforward. Uh, made it as visual as possible with the only captions being like, like, uh, date and place captions, you know, nothing, you know, no, no third per, no third person or first person narrative or anything like yeah, that. No, Just the no Roy style. Thomas. <laughs> right. And then, and then, um, making it as, by the end of it, I'd gotten to the point where I was trying to get everything in, in um, the same size panels, like four panels to a page, so that it would be have this like cinemascope look to it, and uh, kind of developed the theory that that well, and then as time went on, and I talked to people about comics, I realized that a lot of people were incapable of reading comics. They, I mean, it seemed weird and stupid to those of us who grew up reading comics is if you grow up reading them, they're really easy to read. Right. But it turns out that if you don't, they're not. So I got this idea that not not to do, not like everyone's doing now, which is to do comics that can be turned into movies, mm-hmm. but to do comics that sort of replicate movies as much as can be done in the medium to make it easier for people who don't read comics to be able to come in and and absorb them like Mm. they could absorb, you know, and obviously there's technical problems with that, but that was the overall concept. So that's why I picked the name Paper Movies and then just used that as a business, as a business name and, um, Never really got the chance to develop the concept very much. But about, I don't know, four years ago, three years ago, something like that, um, some people that I knew came to me and asked if they could buy the name off of me and uh, because they wanted to start a comics company and they thought it would be a good name for a comics company. And... and um, so I ended up being 25% owner of the of the company due to the fact that they were using the name. And uh, that's pretty much how I got involved with the company. And uh, <laughs> I don't have – yeah, I mean, that's that's it. Uh, I don't have that much directly to do with the – I mean, I'm I'm creative consultant is really what it amounts to. Uh, I do a little editing now. Well, I mean, when I'm asked to, I don't edit everything. I don't stick my – I don't edit my own work. Um, I don't stick my nose in on everything. Because uh-huh. uh, there's like six or seven projects, I think I've been involved in three or four of them. But um, yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm involved with it. It's it's not really a full time gig for me, but it's it's their company more than it is mine. Uh-huh. So, well, who's they? Let's talk about they. They. Um, I produce a name Shane Riches, who I've worked with on a couple of things, uh-huh. and uh, he he and I co-wrote a book for a couple black jackets. Which is a crime comic, mm-hmm. and um, what's the other names? I should know this. Jeez. Uh, Je- Jeff Davison. Jeff. What? Jeff Davison. Jeff Davis. <laughs> right, Jeff Davison. I mean, I know, I know like sixty Jeffs now, and right, I'm hard to keep right, straight. Right. I know Jeff's going to kill me for not knowing his name, but uh, but but Jeff, you know, Jeff is uh, the money man behind it. He's this Canadian, and uh, you can sum it up. He's this Canadian, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know. <laughs> So they're basically just trying to uh, trying to create comics and um, 
they're trying to do, of course, they're trying to do media deals with them like everybody else is, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, that's, but that, as I say, that's more of their interest than mine. I, mm-hmm. I don't, uh, really get involved in the media deals very much. I'm more than happy to take my share of the money, but, uh, I don't, that's not my end of the Right. So, so let's talk. Well, let's talk a little bit. I mean, obviously, one of the reasons why I was uh, eager to talk to you for the podcast is because of your incredible perspective. I mean, <laughs> you. Well, I mean, you've done it all. You know, well, <laughs> you've even it. written for comic book resources. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I've colored a Howard the Duck story. So. <laughs> yes. So you, you know, and you have certainly. I mean, I run into you at Comic Con. Uh, from time to time, and, uh, you know, I know that, you know, we chat briefly. I know you've, uh, you've stayed up on what is happening in the industry, so I, I want to get to your perspective a little bit, but, oh, sure. but certainly part of that perspective is the continuation or the relaunch of His Name is Savage. Um, so this title is created by Gil Kane, and, uh, right. but can you talk about the history of the book and Gil Kane's history with it? Cause it's, it's, it's quite interesting, I think. Well, Gil basically quit DC in the late 60s. He was doing the run on Green Lantern, and, and the funny thing is that Gil didn't really like drawing Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. A legendary I mean, run, it. in case you don't he- know, yeah. He liked it, but he, I mean, he, it like didn't upset him or anything, right. but, but they never quite went far enough with what he thought comics should be. And, you know, he always thought they could be something more than what they were, you know, than basically the kid stuff they were doing then. It's not like he didn't like John Broom's scripts or things like that, because he did. He got along with John Broom fine. But it's just that, you know, he always had to like talk them into letting, I mean, they always wanted him to do this, the, the ring stuff with, you know, created a giant boxing gloves and things instead of just hitting people. So you'll notice as the strip goes, Greenlander goes on, Greenlander is hitting people more and things like that because Gil <laughs> liked drawing physical action. Mm. And, uh, so he finally decided to create his own publishing company, which is a thing called Adventure House. Adventure, yeah, Adventure House. Now, place, what, right? just to, again, I wanted to try to give some people some some background on this. So this was like the late sixties, early seventies. So this is long this before. This is like the, 67, 68. Oh, okay. So yeah. this is long before you know indie comics were a thing at all. Right. Well, no, no, long before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, indie com- to the extent that there were indie comics at that point there was like Wallywood had been doing a uh, fanzine called Wits End mm-hmm. which I think probably inspired Gil to do this because Gil had done a couple things for Wits End mm-hmm. uh-huh. and you know Steve Ditko created Mr. A in Wits End mm-hmm. so uh, that's but that like I say that was a fanzine and there were a few odd fanzines going you know the fanzine scene was just starting up mm-hmm. and um, but Creepy had been you know was being Creepy and Eerie were being published uh, on a regular basis, so it's not like there wasn't a magazine, a market for magazines out there, mm-hmm. and that's Gil decided to tap into and created this company, Adventure House Press, which was going to produce a line of magazines so that they could get it one, so they could get away from the comics um, racks, from the mm-hmm. kitty comics racks, and be placed with regular magazines, and particularly the men's magazines. Mm-hmm. And and his name is Savage was much more directed at the men's magazine market than it was at the comics market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was done, it was a, sp- a spy comic. I mean, it was his version of a spy comic. And it was, it was, I think he probably came in a little late on the spy market, mm-hmm. but that was the nature of the business at the, in those days. And I mean, you couldn't really. 
Yeah, I mean, just again, you know, James Bond had uh, debuted at this film at the beginning of the decade. Right. You know, there was all these spinoffs, like his name is Flint, Matt Helm. I mean, you know, right. it was the debonair, you know, lady-killing spy era of all time. Right, and and Gill took it more back to the to a pulp thing. This is a much more, you know, na- this is a much nastier character, mm-hmm. although he did dress in, dress in natty suits and things mm-hmm. like that. Um I mean, the classic scene from His Name is Savage is him being in prison and being dragged out by the uh, – I forget whether he's being dragged toward his execution or something. But there's this brutal guard who's been beating up on him, and he hasn't done anything. And then he gets word that he's uh, he's being pulled out of prison because they need him for some, you know, some uh, spy assignment. Mm. And he um, – Grabs the guard's gun and rams it through his teeth, and the teeth are spraying all over the panel. And that's classic Disney Sarah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that, that was the one that kind of that you got to. I mean, to that point in the in the comic, this was right like six or seven pages in, and you got to that point in the comic, and and you that was the point where you thought, I'm reading something I haven't read before. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that was uh, you know. That was what Gill was doing, and and then it goes into a uh, a long spy adventure. I mean, there are there is an argument for. I personally wouldn't make this argument anymore, but it is it's an argument for being the first graphic novel. Mm-hmm. I think it's an early version. I don't not sure it's quite long enough to be a graphic mm-hmm. novel, but uh, I think it's there's an argument for it being a prototype graphic novel if nothing else i mean it certainly points the way toward it right and uh and uh anyway he he basically they didn't sell mainly cuz it got killed on distribution uh, they mm-hmm. just used to, there was this whole scenario that i can't even begin to go into that killed it on distribution and so he had to cancel the company and he had to shut down the company and ended up uh, paying the bills on it for years and years, which led to him doing a whole lot of Marvel work. Yeah. So, so it was sort of a – a um, it was a bit of a disaster for Gil, wasn't it? I mean he yeah, took a big was, financial well, bath on it. It was a financial disaster. It was a creative uh, achievement. Mm-hmm. So, right. As, this is frequently the case with things in comics. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I, as I recall, I do. The Fantagraphics did a published um, a collection of it back in the back in the day as well. I believe. Right. Or no, they reprinted the book and did right. an interview in the back. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I think the story is really interesting, just because um, you know, talking about Wits End. Also, I mean, I was just in France. And they had this huge Wally Wood art exhibit, you know, that was breathtaking and comprehensive and a lot of stuff right. from Wits End there. And, um, you know, it also mentions Flo Steinberg's Bill Big Apple comics. I mean, there was indie publishing. Oh, no, there was stuff going on. Well, I mean, the thing is, underground comics were mm-hmm. hot. Though. Right, right, right. And, and, and they... Um, and this was I, – I don't think Gil was thinking in terms of underground comics at the time, but there was certainly a mark. That's what indie comics were at the mm-hmm. time, were underground right, comics. Right, uh, And yeah, and he was uh, – you know, he was trying to get in I mean, on that. People completely forget now that there was a point where the Fabulous Fury Freak Brothers was incredibly outselling Spider-Man. Like uh, on a – by degrees, it was outselling Amazing Spider-Man. That's – Right. Yes. So yeah, the you know the history uh, history when uh, actual history is uh, 
uh, looked at, it disproves a lot of uh, truisms that have ruled for a long time. So, um, but anyway, so how did his name as Savage come into your hands in the year of 2020? Well, it actually starts with Shane, Shane Riches, who um, sometime in the 2000s, he approached me at Comic-Con and asked me if I could become an advisor for him because he was working as a movie producer at the time. And his idea was he would find out what um, studios were looking for and he'd call me and say, do you know of any books that fit this thing? And mm-hmm. it, whether or not, because at that point, pretty much nothing had been mm-hmm. picked up by anybody. And, uh, he called me one day and said, uh, you, you know of any hot spy projects, properties that nobody's, uh, that no one has the rights to. And I said, yeah, his name is Savage. <laughs> <laughs> and so he started, um, he was involved with this money group then, which Jeff was also involved with it, but it was a different group. Mm-hmm. And um, they then started negotiating to buy the rights to his name is Savage, and they ended up. Get, it took a long time, and they ended up getting him. And the pro that movie project never came to fruition, obviously. But um, they ended up with the rights to his name is Savage, and I said, and they said, "Do you want to write a comic for it?" And I said, "Sure, I'll write a comic for it." Mm-hmm. I want because Gil and I actually uh, I had done a book with. Gil for Malibu called Edge, and we started talking about doing all kinds of things. This is like, unfortunately, this is like 1994, I think, and right about that time, the market completely collapsed. Mm. So it became pretty much impossible to sell anything to anybody. Right. And um, for a long time, but he and I kept coming up, kept talking about projects, and we, you know, we did a couple of things for DC here and there. I mean, we did other projects over the next few years, and I talked to him, past that point, I talked to him like once a week, mm-hmm. minimum. For, and, you know, when you talk to Gil, you don't talk to him for a short <laughs> right. period of time. Uh, so it's basically at least an afternoon a week I would spend talking <laughs> to Gil, and we would talk over all kinds, you know, we would talk about all kinds of things. And we talked pretty extensively about revamping his name as Savage because he wanted to, he was very hot to do that at the time and we couldn't find any, any takers but mm-hmm. uh, but we talked over a lot of different ideas for his name as Savage and I told him you know I expressed things that I thought had to be changed in order to update the, the property to the 19 this was the mid 90s and so you know and clearly something that was built for the Cold War was not going to fit in 1997 mm-hmm. you know you had to work out something completely uh, well not completely different but you had to work out different angles on it so he and I talked about that kind of thing fairly extensive so it's not like it was a whim that I wanted to write his name as Savage right. but but by this point Gil had unfortunately died so I couldn't really talk to him about it mm-hmm. but uh, but I said yeah I'd be happy to but I want to make certain you know I, I want to be free to make whatever changes I, I feel are necessary to it so, and the idea was to keep it as close to Gill's concept while bringing it into the modern age as possible. Mm-hmm. So, so I started writing it, and I got about two issues into it, and then it was clear that they were not going to go ahead with it, so I stopped writing it. Mm-hmm. 
And but they still own the rights. And then when Paper Movies came up, Jeff negotiated to get the rights from them. And then the, and this was like, oh, God, when was this? This was like <laughs> they, it, at least five or six years had passed since I started writing it. And so then I stood. So I guess this was 2015. It must have been 2015, 2016, something like that. I started writing it again. So, and that was kind of interesting to come in on it after a gap. And uh, I think I'd written one issue of it, and then the other it's four issues long right yeah and see this is what i mean about i don't remember what i wrote last week uh and so then i um i finished finished the story but it was interesting trying to figure out what i had planned to do with it (laughs) at that point right so well i i guess my question is you know what what are some of the things that you did in order to you know make a spy story that was more relevant to the post cold war era and i mean certainly you know 20 years on from 1997 uh you, you know the spy world has changed quite a bit as well uh but yeah what were some of the what were some of the well, thinking there's a lot more general paranoia in it um mm-hmm. it's uh i have relieved him of the um of having to, he worked for this this organization called the committee, which you got the idea. I mean, they never specified in the book, but it was a one of these secretive, shadowy government op- operations. You know, mm-hmm. they couldn't call it the CIA, obviously. And um, so, at this point, he is, and I can't really go into why because it's a major plot mm-hmm. element. But he, at this point, he is no longer working for the the. Um, the committee and is a completely free operative who has basically taken it upon himself to to um, shall we say limit uh, illegal covert mm-hmm. operations uh-huh. and uh, depend no matter who they are and so he's he's kind of got this quiet agreement with the CIA that as long as he doesn't set foot in America they're you know and they stay out of each other's Way, pretty. I mean, there's only a. Basically, they're scared of him, <laughs> right? And we go into that in the first issue because he mm-hmm. he does have a run-in with the CIA in the mm-hmm. first issue. Ah, okay. But um, but he's so basically he's sort of operating independently at this point, right? And and being a trying to be sort of a voice of sanity in the wide world of crazy operations. Right. Now, I saw in the PR that was sent to me that there may be a follow-up to this called uh, Her Name is Savage. There apparently is, and I know nothing about it except for the name. They they asked me if I wanted to be involved in it, and I said, why don't you do it? (laughs) Right. Because I, I can tell you I would have been nothing but trouble on it. That doesn't mean I think it's going to be a bad book. I have no idea, but I would have been big trouble on it. So. Right. Well, you're writing several other series, though, for paper movies, right? You have... Uh... Dan and I co-wrote uh, Black Jackets and a thing called Borderlines, and that's oh. what I've written so far. And what are these about? We're, we're figuring out the next slate right now, but... Uh... But that's what we've got. And then there's like a couple of other books that I didn't have any connection to. Right. So t- tell us about Black Jackets and Borderlines. Well, Black Jackets actually was an idea I came up with years ago that I, I tried selling and no one – it's like many things. You know, you you try selling things and nobody wants anything to do with mm-hmm. them. So that's fine. And this is uh, – this comes from a term that um, a police – you know what a jacket is in police mm-hmm. – 
yeah. lingo. It's it's the file, somebody's file, you know, personnel file, basically. History, mm-hmm. you know. Their permanent record. And uh, Bla- Black Jacket is a, in this thing, the, a Black Jacket is a, a burnt cop, a cop who's gone bad somehow and is no longer on the force. Mm-hmm. And um, a in a um, county run by a crooked sheriff, and there are, there are some obvious uh, real-world inspirations we had for this, um, in a, in a uh, county run by a crooked sheriff, the DA of the main town puts together a force of um, disgraced cops mm-hmm. who, um, like one of them is, is in jail for, uh, one of them is in prison for murder. Actually, a couple of them are in prison for, <laughs> for killing people. But, but well, a cop, no, actually, that's right. One of them is in prison for murder. But it's one of the, you know, it's it's a, a questionable thing. Right. One of them was right. simply thrown off force. One of them is a, one of them um, is in jail for corruption. So perhaps some of these cops are, you know, wanted for crimes that they didn't commit. Well, there most of them are wanted. For <laughs> there, there is only one of them that actually committed the crime that he that he got uh, taken down for. Nice. So, and. Uh, at any rate, so this guy puts together a team of a secret team of them operating on the sly to investigate as as an investigating team uh-huh. to investigate the sheriff and figure out how to take him down. And uh, and that's the premise of the book is that they they are all but they're all supposedly still in jail. All right, right. Well, the ones that were in jail are in jail. The one that isn't. The one that was simply thrown off the force is, you know, simply thrown off the force. But they're not supposed to have any official status. So it's a, it's a kind of a crime caper. It oh, it's a, a crime caper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, it's definitely definitely a crime caper. And then uh, Borderlines. Well, Borderlines is – this one I always find very difficult to explain. Um, uh, borderlines is um, – a woman dies and comes back from the dead, and well, actually, she's supposed to be she's supposed to be dead and isn't is what mm-hmm. it amounts to, and um, starts developing odd abilities and um, finds that that they gets involved with this organization that's in this in psychic investigation operation that's uh, that's trying to cross the borderline to between life and death basically and they find out that things are crossing back from the other side right and that that's the upshot of it and then then you know things ensue from there let's put it that way so i, I i'm looking at your website while we're talking and uh there's like previews of all of these books are they all drawn and ready to go or are they oh, yeah, they're all ready we've there are four issues are all done of all of them wow uh how so we, we did we did all that in advance mm-hmm. um wow, that's... i i didn't know whether they would do it there, there were long discussions about publishing them as miniseries or publishing them as graphic novels publishing them online you know what's the best way to approach it mm-hmm. And uh, I always actually thought they should just do them as, as collections at this point because mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's a market left of the miniseries to speak of. Well, I'm not sure how down with the uh, business end of this you are, but, uh, I mean, are these comics available through Diamond? Are they available? You know, how could we buy uh, yeah, them? Yeah, they are available. 
Well, as far as, far as I know, they are available through Diamond. It took a long time to get them into. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I know they're available through Diamond because I just went through the catalog, for the April catalog, and saw uh, her name is Savage in there. So wow. I know I, they're available through Diamond. Right. Yes. So uh, the good old comic shop model. So uh, yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I was going to say. So you well, actually, so when you first did Whisper, it was from Capital Comics, correct? Right. And then it right. came out from First. Later, and Capital was a company that was also owned by the same people who later did Capital Distribution. And well, actually, Capital Distribution came first, and they did Capital Comics. Right. It was the wild. Uh, right. It was kind and, of and shot down Capital Comics because other comics publishers were pissed off that a distributor was publishing. A, comics. a similar story to Pacific Comics, which was another publisher yeah. of the '80s, which also was its own distribution company, um, run by the Shanus brothers. Uh, uh, so, uh, but you know, now I, I, I think it's hard. You know, listen, I don't want to be the old timers who are sitting around going, "Ah, we're so great in our day." You know, we wore an onion on our belt, but but there was a lot of. You know, quote unquote, independent publishing in the early eighties of, you know, when the comic shop market first came out, there was all these publishers, um, and the sales were very high sometimes. I mean, they sold, you know, there was a lot more comic shops and sometimes they oh, would yeah. sell numbers that, you know, publishers now would be jealous of. And, uh, you know, it was a time for a lot of creativity, if, if nothing else. Hot, uh, but, you know, now, uh, just somebody like, like, you know, your, uh, partners in this, you know, could come to you and next thing you know, there's a comic book company. I mean, how would you compare, you know, today's publishing, uh, atmosphere to, uh, you know, the, that long ago 80s, the well, golden age? Well, I was a lot more naive back then. Mm-hmm. I'll say that for it. Um, I mean, back then they were all the big come on was creator owned comics. You know, we could do, you know, you could have, but creator owned actually, if you looked at most of the contracts, because most people didn't bother negotiating the contracts. I actually did. Um, and, uh, the big con then was that what they called creator owned was actually very thinly veiled, um, work for hire, which you found out if you ever wanted to take your property anywhere else. And, uh, or if the company shut down and you wanted to take your property anywhere else. I mean, just ask all the people from First who, uh, who spent years and years trying to get their creations back did, from First Comics. Did you get Whisper um, back? Hmm? Did you get Whisper back? Oh yeah, back? no, I, I had a clause in there to get it back. Oh, so you, for so I, I actually negotiated that. Yeah, we, I just sent them a letter and waited for three years and then sent them another letter and saying it's ours, said it's ours now. So. <laughs> nice, nice. So, um, because they, 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 I, there were contractual obligations they were supposed to fulfill that they didn't, and so not fulfilling those gave us the right to take it back after three years. So. Very good. That's always so. good to uh, to have those little reversion clauses in there. And, and as a matter of fact, I am now writing a new Whisper series for Comics Mix. So. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so it's actually in the middle of the first issue. Ah, very And... Uh, Anyway, but these days, well, these days, um, the right, it's, you know, you, there were a lot of comics companies out there. None of them pay anything. Mm-hmm. A very few of them pay anything to speak of. I mean, a lot of them, you get a lot of people saying, you know, with 
you know, we'll give you a great deal on the back end. And, you know, the, the back end is the back end. There is no back end, you know. And uh, not for most comics, anyway. And they all want the movie rights because they all want the media rights because they want to, you know, be the ones to turn around and become media moguls and sell them to, uh, you know, sell them to the movies. And, and I think there's a huge, the huge flaw in most people's thinking in that is that they're always looking for things that they can sell to the movies. Mm-hmm. And it's real, I know from personal experience, it's really hard to sell things to the movies to start with, but if you're giving them things they've already got, they don't want them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and most people go, oh, well, this is, oh, this, this is great. This is like, you know, this is like Magnum PI. And well, they already have Magnum PI. So what right. do they need you? You know, and, uh, and they're always going, well, let's, let's do, uh, you know, let, let's, well, we can't do that because they, they, it'll make it hard to sell the movies. But the fact is that, Anything, you know, you don't have to screw up your project to make, to make, to sell it to the movies because they're perfectly capable of screwing it up all by themselves. (laughs) That is true. Um, And they're happy to do it all by themselves. So what they want is something they've never seen before so they can go, hey, this is something we've never seen before. Right, right. So, you know, so my advice is anyone doing it, they should just do what they want to do and forget about whether or not the movies will want it. Right. Uh, I think that's probably pretty good advice, to be honest. Um, now, you had this experience with two guns, and uh, there was actually some talk at the time that, you know, once again, you'd read over your contract, and uh, you cleverly, uh, uh, you know, a little boilerplate language there. Maybe you were like, oh, I'd like a cut of the uh, media rights. And uh, according to- oh no 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 that that wasn't I that had nothing to do with me. I, I had a one-line handshake deal with Ross. Mm-hmm. A, a one sense handshake deal with Ross that, um, and I won't go into the deal, but it covered it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like right. I, I, it's, it's like in my experience when publishers tell you, I mean, publishers have a tendency, and this is going to be smearing publishers, which is not entirely my intent, but, uh, it's, I mean, I don't, people who shouldn't take it personally shouldn't take it personally. Um, but it's a tendency among publishers to cut deals that are, not great for creators, but are good for them on the premise that what is good for them is good for the creator. Right. In this case, the deal that I had with Ross, it was exactly what was good for him was good for me. So, mm-hmm. so it wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't any question about that. It was a very nice deal. So. Right. Now, did you do and, a sequel? Hmm? Did you, you, did you? Yeah, we did a sequel called, uh, Three Guns, actually. Oh. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the the movie impact? I know it took a long time to think of it. Right. I know <laughs> it was. Uh, you know, these are the great decisions that are made. Do uh, yeah. you think that the movie impacted sales of the comic at all? Did you get a windfall oh, from no, that? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Most people don't realize it was a comic. Right. I mean, it certainly wasn't a very comics like movie. I mean, your work has been mostly in this kind of I don't know hard boiled crime noir. Um, well, I mean. Probably most of my work has been in superhero comics, but, uh, you know, just, just out of sheer, I mean, not that I have any problem with writing superhero comics, but mm-hmm. just out of sheer economic need, they've been in superhero comics. But mm-hmm. my preference is for this kind of material, but not really because I'm all that keen on writing crime material, but just that the sorts of things I want to talk about, it's easiest to talk about 
with this material. I mm-hmm. mean, it's 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 harder to do like a, a science fiction epic and discuss things I want to discuss. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I want to give a plug to a book that you talked about earlier, which is Badlands, which did come out quite a while ago, but it's still available, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, it just got re-released by Dark Horse oh. last uh, last year with a brand new uh, Tim Bradstreet cover that's just gorgeous. Uh, well, very good. And the art is by uh, Vince Gerano. Uh, Vince Gerano, and uh, this is a. Uh, it's about the JFK uh, assassination. Well, you, you want you want the one line pitch that I sold it on? Yes. It's a crime story. Night is set in 1963, starring the guy who really killed John Kennedy. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and it's, you know, it's funny, Steve, that, uh, you know, when, and it, listeners, just so you know, I mean, I, I, when I lived in LA back in the, these days, you know, I would see, Steve and I would run into each other on the street, as unlikely as it sounds. So, you know, oh, yeah. we've, we've been bantering Cer- for. Certainly at CAPS meetings. Yes, at yeah. CAPS meetings and just, you know, parties here, there, Golden Apple. Anyway, we've been kibitzing for quite a while. Um, so in those innocent, naive times, you know, a conspiracy theory like the JFK assassination or, um, you know, I mean, certainly that was one of the juiciest ones of all times. Um, but, you know, it really caught your imagination and, you know, there was so much discussion. Oh, here's a new theory about it and that kind of thing. And, you know, nowadays we just live thanks to social media and the Internet in one big conspiracy theory. Uh, it's, it's oh, yeah, of, yeah. And, that, mo- and most of it is just utter rubbish. I know. <laughs> it's it's like the, the bloom is off the rose. It's like you can't even enjoy a good conspiracy theory anymore. Well, there aren't any good conspiracy theories anymore because they have to have some basis in reality. <laughs> it's like every, everybody, everybody. The thing is that everybody wants grandiose conspiracy theories. That they, I mean, they want the unified field theory of conspiracy theories, and there isn't one. That isn't what conspiracy is. <laughs> you know? Right. There, there, there isn't. I mean, if if you start thinking in terms of of monster organizations that secretly run the world, you know, monster operations that secretly run the world, that's not the place to look. Mm-hmm. I mean. You're well, not going to find them. They're, well, just those read people screw up. Just read <laughs> Facebook's, you know, annual report, and there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It is. It is. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think is the? What do you think is the the place of uh, you know paranoid, uh, paranoid introspection in today's well, section? I, I think it's still there, but it needs a lot more focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the, I mean, if if you're talking about in terms of comics, the problem I have with virtually all of them is they all, as I say, go for the unified field theory of, you know, mm-hmm. of conspiracy theories, and and those are basically uninteresting because, I mean, you've got to believe in lizard people and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, um, pick what, pick a, a tiny angle of it and focus on that and go for the characters and don't don't worry about whether or not you're solving the crime because you're not going to whatever you this is like the the attitude I took toward the Kennedy assassination in in um Badlands is is I'm not solving the crime mm-hmm. this is the, the object of this is not to tell you who really killed John Kennedy because I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> don't don't give don't try to give definitive answers to things you don't know mm-hmm. You know, and, and don't turn it into some jokey fan, you know, I mean, if you, if you think this is a serious issue, don't do a jokey fantasy with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, but it's, it's, I mean, there's still, there's always going to be an audience for paranoia. Yeah. So there's reason not to 
write stories if you've actually got something to say about it. Right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I. I. It is. It is. It, at least for me, anyway. I mean, I. I obviously have always been a, a fan, or I was a fan. You know, things like Grant Morrison's work. Obviously, he took a lot of this Illuminati, which was another work of fiction that that kind of had the unified field theory, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, but it was fun because yeah, they... Yeah, well, Grant, they... Grant approached it well, I think. I yeah. Mean, I, I didn't actually like The Invisibles to start with, but after, like, the first dozen or so issues, it really started coming into its own. Yeah, and, so. I mean, at that point, it was a pleasant diversion from reality, but, uh, you know, now... Yeah, well, I mean, he was clearly doing it strictly for entertainment value. Right, so. right. Um, so anyway, well, uh, what, you know, what else, uh, what else are you up to besides, uh, the paper movies? What other projects do you have going on or activities? Oh, you know, it's funny, but I have a lot of projects going on that I'm simply not allowed to talk oh, about. Oh, well, well, it's interesting these, that these days, I mean, I'm mean, well, because I mean, partly because they may never actually happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you know, people, but, but, you know, everyone's talking about paranoia. Everyone in comics is paranoid now about, um, something getting out that you know mm. some <laughs> top secret getting out. I mean, I'm sure you know this from from your end of things. Oh yeah. They, oh, don't mention it. Please don't talk. Please don't put a do an article on that. You know, and it's like, yeah. I mean, I can understand it if you're not sure it's ever going to get published. That's fine. But mm. um, but just in terms of. Uh, you know whether or not Captain Adam is the is seeking to kill him. You know, yeah. big deal if they know it. So what? You know, yeah. it's like you're not sales. I mean, I mean, people did not learn from the death of Superman that that you can actually jump your sales by telling people the ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of that is just the the attention economy. To be honest, I mean, and I've noticed this myself as. Um, you know, as a journalist and, you know, covering these stories, uh, for so long, I, I, for so long, uh, the greatest, uh, you know, holy grail of comics was for Miracle Man to be reprinted. Remember that? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran a whole series of articles about the history of Miracle Man and why it was so difficult. And, you know, people all the time would be, oh, my precious, Miracle Man reprints, you know, I'm, I always protect them. If only they could do a new version. And then finally, Marvel did it. And guess what? The sales were very mediocre. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, so what? Because everybody had the reprints or had access to it. And, you know, everybody. Well, but beyond that, the problem was that the P, I mean, the problem with reprinting old things is that, or doing new series with old things, and I'm probably going to learn this myself very shortly, mm-hmm. is that the market that you had then is not the market you're going to have now. And a lot of people who bought it then have stopped paying attention to comics completely. The new people who have come in have never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, to them, it it doesn't really matter what it is. So, and and... When you've got an old character like that, the promotion, to the extent that there is promotion in comics, which mm. is always a negligible thing, uh, is always, gee, we've got this great character back. And it's mm-hmm. like bringing back uh, Captain Marvel Shazam, you know, Captain Marvel Shazam. Mm. DC brought that back, thought this is going to be our super, uh, in our, our in 73 when they brought it back it's like this is going to like be just rocket us to the top again and it's you know the first issue did well because dealers bought tons of it and by the fifth issue nobody was buying it and 
you know, you don't have a, if you don't have an audience who knows what it is, then and you don't put any effort into teaching them what it is, it doesn't matter what you tell them it is. Right. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, it's true, and I mean, you see, I, but but you know, as far as the attention it goes, uh, I mean, it'll be like, oh, somebody announces they got the license to, uh, you know, um. Pink Lady and Jeff. I should find a more up to date reference than that. What's that? Well, that's fine. That's yeah. It's, should, it's good and obscure, so I that know, fits. That. I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, or something from the arts or whatever. And then the, you know, I will write a story. The beat will run a story. Or, you know, all Hollywood Reporter. Everybody will run the story. And then when the comic finally comes out, it's like you know, you've already heard about it for so long that it's like, oh, that that came out. I mean, I do that. Oh, there is that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, but it sounds like you're, you know. You're for, and I, you know, I say this as a fellow comics veteran. Um, you know, you sounds like you're still pretty busy and in, in the mix oh, yeah, for I'm some busy. Yeah, that's uh. See, I haven't had a lot published lately, but I keep busy. So. Right. Yeah. Have you ever thought about teaching comics? So, do you do any teaching or? Uh no, I don't. Um, it's crossed my mind now and then, but uh, I don't know if I really have the temperament for it. <laughs> Well, there is. I, I like sitting alone by myself a lot. So. Right, right. Well, uh, but that's you know, it's great that uh, it's great to talk to you actually uh, for longer than five minutes at, at <laughs> Comic Con. Uh, just uh, like I said, you have a a, a great um, a great perspective on on all of this, and uh, you know, would you say it's it's it's? I, I keep talking to people though, and I'm just like, our time is now. I've never seen comics. Uh, and oh yeah, yeah. No, the, the the problem with the industry is that it's too broad now. I mean, and I, I'm I'm saying I'm not saying that from my perspective mm-hmm. because I like that it's too broad. But but you've got. I mean, I just noticed. I just I got an issue. I was looking at an issue of previews the other day for the first time in like two years, uh-huh. and and uh, all these different. Co- New companies are coming out, like, uh, you know, Ahoy Comics came out and, and Bad Idea just is starting right. up. Things like that with, yeah, with all just, these, you know, and there's all these companies coming out with, with, you know, strange business plans that I can't wait to see if they work <laughs> or not. And, uh, you know, I mean, they might work, I don't know, but, but they don't sound all that credible. But, <laughs> but, um, the problem for the for comic shops and for the market in general is that it's too broad and you can't focus. You know, it's like too much for people to focus. People have to specifically focus on things. So I think the challenge for any new company is to get people to focus on them, and that's what none of them are really doing. And, uh, you know... Um, I don't, I don't know what their economies of scale are like, so I don't know how they necessarily, you know, whether they're being profitable or not. Mm. I mean, when I hear things like how, Di- why Diamond is profitable, it's, you know, it's like <laughs> my, my head starts to burst, but, uh, but, it, but it makes sense, but it's, I can't keep track of it. Mm. Um, and, but, you know, I think that's the problem for comics in general is that, there's so in the business itself is so successful that nothing in it is specifically a success. <laughs> yep, there's that problem again of the the big the big slurry. We're living in a big slurry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're there's. I mean, as near as I can tell, there's two to five thousand comics a month coming out, which. <laughs> 
I don't know how anyone expects to get a, a dollar out of it. You're right. Well, that includes me. I don't know how I expect to get a dollar out of it. Well, we'll we'll see. Uh, You know, we when is uh, his name is Savage uh, available? Uh, It should be. You know, I should know this stuff, and I don't. Yeah, Uh, I think it's it's either this month or next month. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Let's see if I can divine that with my uh, powerful. Uh, internet skills. Uh, this is the stuff I drive my partners crazy with because I don't. Yeah. Well, apparent, according to the, your website, you could actually buy it now on Comixology. So, okay. yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's all out now. So, okay. uh, yeah, check I it out. I don't have available through Diamond yet, but mm-hmm. I think you can get it off the website. Right. You can order it at Amazon or. I have a copy. Yes. Uh, via Comic Mix also. Uh, so, uh, his name is Savage, uh, volume one. Um, well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time oh, to you. chat with us. And, uh, you know, we'll check back in maybe in a while and see how things are going with paper movies oh, cool. and Savage and everything. So well, I'll let you know the next time there's something worth checking in on. Awesome. So. All right. Well, listen, thanks okay. again. And as always, there will be more to come.